So we, we saw there in chapters four and five this amazing worship. I'll tell you guys, just read those chapters over and over. Oh, it's so healing. It's so wonderful. It just sets you free when you get to see Jesus in heaven where we're gonna be very, very soon with the multitude of saints and all those great, incredible, weird-looking angels and, and the beautiful glassy sea of grace and, and uh, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. No more suffering and our brand new bodies, just worshiping and serving and then getting on our horses and coming out of the heavens with Jesus leading us, coming to a, a earth that's been in seven years of tribulation period, being ran by the devil himself, uh, disguised uh, as a world leader, the Antichrist, the end of the seven year, he comes. We stay there at the Mount of Olives. Jesus goes down to the, the Megiddo Valley and the Battle of Armageddon and finishes up. We'll be talking about that several times in the book of Revelation. Finishes up that battle. Those who have received Christ in that seven years, uh, he now uh, is gonna give them the opportunity to live for a thousand years on the earth with Jesus being right there in Jerusalem and the whole earth in such a way they can all go to Jerusalem and hear Jesus teach as much as they want. We, as kings and priests unto Jesus, will be scattered across the planet, ruling and reigning with Christ, and at any point, communicating with him face to face. There's water coming right out of the throne, of Jesus' throne there, and that water goes down, creates a river from the Dead Sea to the Mediterranean, and from that river grows trees, and all the leaves of the trees bring healing uh, to everyone and to the nations. And there's a true peace on that earth for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, the people that are born in that time, maybe they've lived 800 years, on, 800 years old, only knowing that time with us ruling and reigning, hearing Jesus teach Bible studies every day and knowing his heart and his mind thoroughly, Satan's going to be released and he's going to say to planet Earth, aren't you sick of Mr. Goody Two-Shoes? I don't know how the Spanish translator translated that one. Sorry, guys. Are you guys sick of the guy who always wants righteousness, never lets you say anything filthy or crude or, you know, never lets you joke about sexual innuendos and, you know... Aren't, aren't you just sick of it? I, I, I couldn't stand it for 10 seconds. You who want to say down with Jesus, down with his doctrines, down with all these kings and priests, down with all these guys that are ruling with the rod of iron. We want to be free from you, Jesus. We want to be free from all of these kings and priests of yours. We hate you. And we want to, we, we want to be released. There's one final battle. God knows us. We will get behind Jesus in one final battle. The world, the majority, interesting enough, of those who have been born and who are alive through the tribulation period, who received Christ under excruciating difficult terms, than all the people that were born in that time, who have heard Jesus, understood Jesus, the majority of them line up behind 
Satan. Just blatant. No antichrist, no deception. Just a spirit thing of just out and out saying, I do not want to live in heaven with that righteous guy, with that perfect little face over there and, you know, him and his father and they want everything so holy and pure and righteous and I, I just, I can't do it. I hate it. I just, I just want to kill the whole bunch of you. That's the heart of Satan. Line up. And there's this one final battle. Satan always thinks he can win. He is in such incredible deception. And so there's one final battle. We get to fight in it. (laughs) And all of those who war against Christ, we fight. I mean, isn't this great for us? We all get to, you know, Satan's released from the, the pit for that thousand, seven years. And we get to just, you know, give a couple good punches in the head, a couple good kicks in the gut. Just take your sword and chop off a few pieces. And, and just, the battle then ends. And of course, if you did get injured, you're healed immediately by Jesus. <laughs> but all of those people are then thrown into the lake of fire that will no, no longer be opened up in the future. It will be locked with a permanent key. And everybody who has chosen Christ at that moment will be with the Lord. As we step back, everything melts with a fervent heat. And then God creates a new heavens and a new earth where we will be with him forever and ever and ever. And so again, Last week I pointed out, you're on this earth and you're going, I'm sacrificing so much to be a Christian. I'm giving so much financially. I'm giving so much time. And I just say, hold it. Let's say you live on this earth a hundred years and you do, you sacrifice all your money, every second of your time. You just serve and give and give, you know, for the church, for God, for his people, you know, taking care of all the orphans you can, helping all the widows in need that are there, helping, you know, putting everybody's interests before your own interests until you just don't have clothes, you don't eat very well, you're 24 hours, seven days a week, outside of a couple of minutes, you're, you're just serving everybody else. And you do that for a hundred years and God takes you to heaven and you just say, I, I have nothing. I come here in complete poverty. Everything I had, I gave away all the time. I had to spend for myself. I, did, I didn't do it. I served others. Now, nobody lives that way, okay? But if in this hypothetical, extreme way, he says, well, now we're going to go back to the earth in a brand new body of a thousand years to experience this planet in a brand new body. So you'll go climb the Alps for a hundred years. Your knees don't hurt, <laughs> you know? And if you have a slip and fall, like a couple thousand feet, I think you're going to be able to fly. I don't think it's going to matter. But if you did, oh, splat, you're going to get up and, you know, like, like the, the, the roadrunner in the cartoons, you're going to go, you know, and go down six feet in the earth and you're going to, just going to get up and there's the imprint of you. You're going to get up and shake off the dirt and start climbing up. The, you know, there's not going to be injury. You can't be hurt. You're in a brand new body that cannot be injured. So you do that for 100 years. You go scuba diving for 100 years. But now, I told you that, but now let me back it up one more time. But then there's gonna be a new heavens and a new earth. And so I said you had 1,000 years to scuba dive and go hiking and whatever you wanna do, become a botanist, (laughs) whatever. 
that you, you didn't get to do. You had a thousand years to do it while you're ruling and reigning with Christ. But now you've got a new earth forever. So you can really work on that golf game, guys. Man, awesome shot. How long did it take you to get that? Eh, I think it was about two billion years. You got all of eternity to enjoy earth with people and brand new bodies that love Jesus like you love Jesus, who have patience and kindness and goodness. His spirit lives in you. You live in him. Jesus says in John 17, I, Father, as you are in me and I am in you, that we would be in them and them and us in a perfect unity. Father is where I am, they would be with me. As I am, they would be exactly as I am. What a beautiful time for eternity. And not only that, there's a whole other dynamics of the new heavens that we have to get a chance to explore for eternity. So guys, we lose this life in this world, we gain it in the life to come. And Jesus said, if you gain your life in this world, you lose it in the life to come. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? So you divorce your spouse and you marry somebody 20 years younger that's a multimillionaire and you've got this lifestyle of ease and money and fame and fortune for 20 years, 30 years and now you die and you go to hell. Was that 30 years of sensuality, of adultery, of living like a king, worth trading in eternity. It's not by any means. Well, in chapter six, we saw there, in verse one, that when the lamb opened one of the seals, we had a scroll and now there's seals that are binding the scroll. Before the scroll is open, the first seal, I heard the four living creatures saying with a loud voice, come and see. And we saw as we do the comparison here, uh, as we, we looked there, uh, I looked and behold a white horse, he who sat on it had a, how he had a bow and a crown and it was giving him, it went out conquering and to conquer. At first glimpse, it looks like the Christ, as he comes in his second coming, we with him that we look at in chapter 19. But as we look at it, it's not him. It's the one mimicking Christ. Jesus doesn't come with a bow. Um, Jesus comes, as we see in chapter 19. Uh, he is the truth. He is the word of God. He's faithful and true. This is the Antichrist who mimics Jesus, mimics even being Christ, even mimics being dead for three days and rising again, uh, trying to get the world uh, by trickery and deception to, to love him and to worship him and, and to, to serve him. But he will fell sh- fall quite short, and that's why he's angry, trying to kill the population of the world because he's angry because they, they didn't buy in to his is ludicrousy, but for most of the world, it's too late. They did take the mark of the beast. They did surrender their heart to worship him forever, and they will be lost for eternity. And then we saw, and, and um, 
verse three and four, and then he opened the second seal, and I heard the second living creature saying, come and see, and another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was gathered to, it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and the people who sat killed one another, and there was given to him a sword. So he, he now is able to create this spirit of murder uh, on the planet. And uh, Jesus says, uh, and Matthew just, father turning against his own son and son against father and just the hatred and, and the willingness to see each other dead, uh, the, the natural love that would be in the world, even amongst non-believers, is gone. And so again, we just need to ask ourselves, would you want to be on a planet where Satan's off the leash and he has all the, 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 the ability and desire, he wants to do what he wants. He's gonna create an earth where Jesus says you're gonna be in a snare. And for us as believers, it would be a horrifically horrible, destructive place. Um, it tells us that the days will be as Sodom and Gomorrah. We saw the last time as we finished up in Romans 1. I want to look at this again because I ran through it very quickly. In verse 26 to 32, it's not going to be just a society like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's going to be the entire earth is going to have this, this society and culture like Sodom and Gomorrah, this, this uh, society per- permeated with homosexuality. And this homosexual society, how did it get there? And then what's it look like? In, in Romans 1, verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. He just said, you don't want me, you curse me, you despise me, you don't, you don't believe I created the earth, <laughs> you don't want to worship me as creator, you don't want to believe there's a God, you don't want to worship me as God, uh, you don't want to, everything I tell you is evil for you to do, I'm not fighting you any longer, I release you, do all that's in your heart. I'm not standing in your way anymore. My spirit's not gonna be a wall. Uh, of course, believers are gonna be raptured out of there um, to, to resist you. Uh, remember, the angels came and got Lot and his family out of there and they said, God can't bring judgment until you're out of here. And finally, he got them out of there and then uh, they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But look at the culture. In, in verse um, 29, they were filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, um, full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. In verse 30 now, they are backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, 
but also approve of those who practice them. They, they feel this need to get people to do it. So you said you're not a homosexual, but man, you should really give it a try. And they, and they just put pressure on people. Um, I've heard many, many stories where kids are going off to college and in their freshman year, they can't concentrate on their studies. Sometimes it's even at Christian colleges because there's so much pressure to try bisexuality, to give it a try. You know, definitely don't be a virgin. Don't stop. Then it's just this pressure to do it and to experiment with all kinds of immorality and drunkenness and and if you look at this list, this world, it very well describes uh, our world's mindset. And that's why most of the world now, it's, it's a scary thing. You're walking down the street at 10 o'clock at night because people are full of unrighteousness and sexual immorality and, and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, thinking up evil, debauched things, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. We, we sense that. We just sense this, the heart of mankind because the, we have this society like Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, in that, Saudi, in that story of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, these two angels came to get Lot out of his out of there, and the men from young to old said, we want that new flesh. They all wanted to have sex with somebody they had not had sex with before, and it, from, they had all had tons of sex with each other, and they got bored with each other's sexual parts, and wanted some new sexual parts. And, uh, and Lot said, get away, you know. Uh, he'd even offered his daughters, which was, again, it was, they were in a bad place, and Nope, don't want that at all. And, and there was just incredible pressure. Um, and then the angels blinded them all. And even while they were blind, they were groping now at the door, trying to physically just, just crush the house and, and get to them by just crushing the house down. And, uh, and then he, again, it was just an amazingly despicable society. And so again, just to ask yourself you, the question, do you want to live in such a society? We are in that kind of society. Not as, as bad as it's gonna get, but we see it heading that way, right? And it's growing. It's not, it's not leveling out. It's not, you know, peaking. It's, it's something we see getting worse and worse, and there's nothing to keep it from getting worse. Uh, the laws aren't helping. Uh, the politicians aren't helping. Uh, we're just more than happy to build another prison. Uh, and if we are too full, we'll just let go of some of those guys um, that are absolutely crazy, I mean, heinous criminals. Um, you know, I, I was on a jury case some years back, and it was a guy who got out of prison. He went straight and robbed a place getting Cokes and just a big bunch of hardcore pornography uh, and, and a knife. And uh, then he got right off the trolley here in Chula Vista, went right to a hotel, put the knife to the um, lady, cleaned the rooms there, took her into a room, um, 
and began looking at the magazines, wanting her to look at the magazines. When every time she didn't comply, he just cut her very deeply. I'm not saying scratched her. I mean, he cut her. It's part of what turned him on. And uh, he basically just harassed her there for hours, cutting her horribly all over her body until finally they uh, realized what had happened, got in there and uh, got him out. And, uh, and he was being tried again. He, like I said, he had been in prison for years for this kind of crime, came out, did a worse crime, went back in. And um, the jury had to decide how long he would be in. And it wasn't very long. I, I ended up, I was a substitute. I was an alternate. I didn't get to be a part of that, but uh, it wasn't very long. Um, and uh, so again, it's, it's a crazy thing to realize, Jesus, come. <laughs> Amen? Uh, Lord, I, I don't, you know, and I've heard people say, young people going, this is so bad. You know, I, I, you know, I hear the high school kids, they go to school, you know, the girls are pinned up against the locker and threatened, threatened to be raped and they're, you know, four guys are touching them all over their body and, you know, you know, my son goes and he's being threatened to be in, you know, fights four times a day and he's being called a, a queer and all of this and, you know, um, I mean, just horrible stories and it's just like, you know, it's still the most dangerous place for a child to be in America is in school. And, uh, of course, the, the, the wartness of just coming out of such a violent place, it just taints them. You know, once they do get out of school, it's just like, ah, I've just been in a brutal society for year after year, you know, 40 hours a week. And, and um, it's, it's a heavy thing. And people say, man, I don't know if I want to have kids. You know, what am I going to do? Is that, you know, am I going to really send little Billy off to kindergarten knowing how brutal and they're going to tell him that, you know, all these lies about creation and, you know, my two moms and my two dads and uh, all the the confusion that goes along with it. What are we going to do? Well, we are the light. We are the salt. We're not to go run and hide in a cave. The Bible says be in the world very clearly. And it says don't be of it. And the Bible says while we're in it, we go out. We have the answer. We are the light. We are the salt. We go out into the world and we preach the gospel. And, and the darker it gets, the less light you need. I, I was uh, in a cave that was about three stories under the ground. And, and uh, we turned a corner and the lady who was giving us the, the tour said, I want everybody to cover up every light you have on, their, on your, on your um on your watch or anything else. Make sure there's not even a tiny little light showing. And we got in there. We turned this corner and came around. We didn't know quite what to expect. And she lit a match. And that one match, it was a room about the size of our sanctuary here that can seat about 1,500. And that one match, because it was so dark, that one match lit that room up almost sufficiently. You could see everything, and, and she pointed out, just, you know, you think about people crawling in and, you know, uh, doing, you know, here, here's a word for it, if you don't know, guys who professionally call, crawl in caves, what are they called, anybody know? You got it, splunkers, splunkers. 
So you got these splunkers. They don't need a lot of light. Very little light is what they need. The darker they go, the less light they need. So again, it is that way. We look at a society like this that we're going to have to be a part of, where the Antichrist is going to come out of as we head to the last days. A little tiny bit of light. Your little light (laughs) is huge in a dark world. So don't lose hope. Quite the opposite. Uh, We can have great hope because Jesus came into such a world. Noah was in such a world, huh? Daniel was in such a world. We can go through the Bible and, and people came into such world. Jesus came in to the Galilee area and it was a horrible, horrible place full of all kinds of witchcraft and wickedness and the religion that was supposed to be you know, supporting his father was this pharisaical religion that Jesus said was from Satan. It, it did not represent, not, not represent God, but Satan uh, really had created it because it was rejecting the real truth about the Bible. And here was the God of the Bible that they're supposedly worshiping and they want to hate him and they hate him and they want to kill him. That's how backwards it was. So what else do we see in this seven-year tribulation period? What else is going on? We come to verse five. There's the third seal now that gets opened. And what happens there? The third living creature says, come and see. And so he looked and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And he heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius. Now, a denarius is a day's wage. And then three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do no harm of the oil and the wine. Uh, you can't even afford that uh, with a day's wage. And, uh, but don't, don't get angry, don't destroy it. Um, but basically he's saying here that the bread that you would normally eat, it's 12 times more expensive. And you can't even buy the bread. You can only buy the ingredients that would go into the bread, but it would take you an entire day's wage to get the ingredients, to even possibly be able to cook to get the day's wage. And of course, it's not gonna be enough to to feed and live your family and to live by. Uh, And that's typically in most societies what they do. They'd eat, they'd work, They'd get their wage that same day. They would go buy stuff on the way home and the wife would buy stuff and they bring the food in, they cook it up and that's their meal for the day. Get up in the morning, they got a little bit of stuff to drink and nibble on. Um, Take a little bit of stuff to nibble on during the, the day, but then when they come home, again, it's enough to eat for the day. Typically not some left over to, to save up. That typically wasn't the case. So what do we see here on the earth? That, that starvation is happening and there is no finances to change it. And, and guys, we're, we're in this kind of world. There is a huge percentage of the world that is literally starving to death. And then there's another huge percentage of the world that is eating, but seriously malnutritioned. It is not a huge percentage of the world that has food like we have it. We are in a very, very, very small minority as we eat here 
uh, in America, okay? And, and even when I go to places like Europe, you know, and uh, everybody dresses like us and they'd be looking like you here. And, and, but in reality, you go home, they have a little tiny refrigerator and there's just not much in it. And, you know, they get up in the morning and they have a little coffee and they have a little tiny piece of bread with a little piece of cheese. And it's not because they're trying to stay thin. They all do stay thin, look good, by the way. But it's, that's all they have. And they don't really eat anything for lunch, typically. They'll try again to drink a cup of coffee or whatever. And, and, um, and then they have a meal at night, which is usually soup. Not enough to typically satisfy any of you, especially if you're a young person or a teenager here, but a very modest bowl of soup. Some vegetables in it and, you know, not every day, but maybe once or twice a week, some meat in it as well uh, with some bread. And that is it. That's what they eat. And when our kids go to Bible college there, we've got some right now over in Hungary at the Bible college, they're going to be they're going to be surprised because they're like, uh, I'm still hungry. And it's like, well, that's what we have for you here. And the, the body can adjust. The body can adjust. And typically kids come back having lost weight. And, but it's, it's the food, the nutrition's there sufficient. I'm not saying they're malnutritioned there. It's just a pers- amount of food that we just, it's hard for us to imagine people living on that little of food but that is what they have that's what they can afford and that's a part of the world that again it's not malnutritioned but it's a amount of food that's very very little compared to what we eat so what we eat we are in a percentage of the world i want to say like one percent that eat the amount of food we eat where it's most of the world. I mean, I'd like to say, I don't know if the statistic's right, but I'd like to say 99% of the world does not have the ability to eat the amount of food we can eat. Um, Of course, we shouldn't eat as much as we eat, but um, they they couldn't, just wouldn't have it. And so, but in this case scenario, the whole world uh, does not have the opportunity to eat enough food to be sufficient. They're all in a slow starvation, if not in a fast starvation. And again, guys, we're, we're right now in, in, in a place, and we've been there. We don't, I don't know if we always realized it, but we're, we've always been there. Uh, w- one of the things right now that we're scared to death about that I don't, I don't know why it's not front page news every day, but our bee population of the world is dropping just scarily amounts every year. And without bees germinating the flowers and the trees and all of the fields, nothing grows, okay? You've got to have them doing that. And the bee population and the right kinds of bees being in the right kinds of places, it is not happening. And we don't know where just vastest amount of bees have just disappeared. Every year they're disappearing. They're dead, they're not around, they're not alive, we don't know where they are. And uh, each year we're dealing with a less amount of bees, which means even if you had a field and you had stuff and you could plant it, it probably wouldn't uh, produce 
because there's not going to be enough bees uh, to do what they need to do to germinate the plants. Uh, another thing again, you know, earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, these things devastate. Uh, we don't realize it. If we had just two or three of those on top of each other in, 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 in a place like the United States, um, it would devastate us. It, it would set us back maybe permanently, but definitely for years where we would be for a few years going, man, until the farm gets up and going here, there's just no food. Um, it's just not here. We could try to buy it from other countries or whatever. But again, they could end up in the same place. And then we've talked, we got the EMT, the electrical bomb hitting. Uh, and if that electrical bomb hits, all mechanics are fried. So no tractors, the, the water system's working. Uh, you know, the toilet system's working. Uh, again, trucks getting things from one location to another. So even if there was food growing somewhere to get it to here, you know, how would you get it here? It'd be horse and buggy, you know? Um, And so again, those things are, they're not way out there. Uh, And then again, disease on plants. Um, That's another real problem. Uh, Then, of course, all kinds of bugs that can bring issues um, that can destroy the plants and so forth. So it's a very temperamental thing. You know, we've got to kill this bug that's got here we never saw before, but we've got to kill it. But, you know, often we don't kill it, but we make it mad, and then it's like a super bug that nothing can kill it, you know. And they're dealing with these kind of things all the time. We just, we just don't know about it because, uh, you know, we're just in our happy little bubble. Um, what's going on? So the whole world is just a step away. So the third still breaks, and the world is in this poverty and this hunger. And then the fourth seal breaks. And I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed him. And the power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, with hunger, with death by the beast of the earth. And so now you, you have a number of ways uh, by, by pestilence, uh, by all kinds of different ways people are dying from sword, hunger, beast, but one quarter of the world dies. Now this, this creates all kinds of problems. Just right up front, everybody else has to take care of that one quarter of the people in the process of dying and are dead. It's not an easy thing. And you don't have, you know, four months to bury them. Okay? You've got days to bury a quarter of the population. Even with giant earth movers. How are you going to do that? Especially if you are in, in, in you know, s- giant cities like in China, uh, you know, or New York, or, uh, you know, these kind of things, or you're on uh, islands like uh, in Japan, where just finding the space <laughs> to bury people, and you say, oh, well, we'll incinerate them. Well, you know, go back. Hitler tried to incinerate people quickly, and, and he had a hard time getting six million people incinerated over a period of years. 
I'd hate to use that in that way as, as gross and as racist and as demonic as that whole thing was, but Hitler learned. You don't just get rid of human bodies easily. Even if we create camps that were just focused on killing, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of people were building incinerators and we're just concentrating from the moment it gets light till night to just all day long. That's our job here is just burning people's bodies up and until they do burn them up, we're starving them down to nothing. So there's really nothing to burn and trying to get the job done. It just, it couldn't get done. And so then they're built, you know, again, trying to find this place to dig these holes that are sufficient enough and throw these bodies in and cover them up sufficient enough, weren't doing it. And then you've got animals getting down in there and eating this corroding flesh and taking the germs and the bacteria and all of these things with it, causing uh, the plague <laughs> in places in the world. And so, again, this is, this is not a, a tiny thing here. We say, oh, well, a quarter of the population of the world dies. Well, at least I'll be able to get a good deal on a house um, you know, price of cars will go down. Oh, this, you know, there's some upside. No, it, 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 all these people being dead are going to be chief people. I mean, they're going to be the doctors and uh, lawyers. That's okay. No, no harm there. Uh, but, you, you know, you got the guys who know how to run the sewage plant. And, you know, it's, it's going to be, again, a big hit. Because all of a sudden, there's going to not just be a loss of people, there's going to be a loss of brain power and a loss of manpower and a loss of, uh, of things that, that need to get done on a regular basis. Again, Jesus said in Matthew twenty four twenty one, for there will be a great tribulation such has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever will be. So this thing that's being described, there's not something to match it in history. It's more horrific than even can be described here of what a world would be like where just in an instant, a fourth of the world dies. And of course, in the process of dying, that can take you know, tremendous. So it's even over an eight-month period of time, you got all these people in the hospitals and clinics and in your house and, you know, they're all in the process of needing food and medicine and care and people, you know, people are getting exhausted by trying to care for the sick and then they die. That, that in and of itself, the, the emotional uh, terror of, of knowing this guy's gonna die but it's gonna take him eight months to do it and you're caring for him for eight months knowing he's gonna die. Uh, there's, there's just an incredible difficulty uh, a tribulation that you don't want to be a part of. And in verse nine there, when he opened the fist seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then the white robe was given uh, each of them and was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both of them, it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, were completed. Now, if your Bible has the word number of their fellow servants, it should be 
in italics because sometimes words are added to try to help give a sense. And here, literally, it says until both, uh, it could mean number as in people or uh, the idea, we don't really have a word to describe it, but it, it, it has a sense of growth. But I, I would dare say the better translation here would be not just one word, but the description of somebody who is spiritually growing. And, and then they die for having been the Christian they had become. So there's people that are being put to death right now, but there's other people that they're not getting put to death because they're not spiritually really a witness. They're not really, don't have a testimony. They're not really strong as a Christian, but they are gonna be. And then they're gonna get killed for being the strong Christian they should be. So until that process is over. So again, understand, a martyr is not just somebody who dies. Somebody got in a car wreck, oh, they're a martyr. No, they're not a martyr. A a, a martyr is only a martyr because of what they stand for and because of what the cost, it costs them to stand for what they stood for and how they stood for what they stood for, right? So they stood for it in a righteous, holy way. And then standing for what they believed in a righteous, holy way. And because of the character of godliness they presented, they were put to death. And so there's a great reward for those kind of people. And again, the Bible does make it clear the cost to be a Christian in the last days is gonna grow higher and higher and higher. And there are people that are gonna get saved in the tribulation period and then they're gonna be martyred. But to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord isn't true in the tribulation period. Why? We are at the marriage supper of the Lamb. (laughs) We are having a wedding feast. And in essence, these are the five virgins who came later knocking at the door going, hey, we're ready for the wedding feast too. And he's saying, no, you didn't have oil in your lamps. You're not gonna be a part of this wedding feast. But they then said, ah, I, I am a believer. I, you're right, I haven't been the testimony. I haven't been the Christian. And now I'm in the tribulation period and take the mark of the beast. No, I'm not. Bow down and worship me. No, I'm not. Uh, and they're being put to death for not being a part of this uh, satanic uh, antichrist system and it's costing them their lives and uh, their souls are kept by God until the end of the tribulation period. Well, in verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and there, number one, the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. Number two, the moon became like blood Verse 13 now. And number three, the stars of the heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs, which is shaken by the mighty winds. So up to this point, we have the sun, the moon, and the stars all being affected greatly, catastrophically by this great earthquake. And then in verse 14, Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. 
And what happens from that? Every mountain and island was moved out of its places. And so, um, number four, the mountains. Number five, the islands are moved out of its place. And in verse 15, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, number six, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains. So I would say number six is just an overwhelming fear. They are just simply stalemated, curled up in the fetal position, these great mighty men who rule the earth uh, because of fear. Now, I want to ask you, is it the fear of the earthquake? Is it the fear of the cataclysmic things that are happening with the sun and the moon and the stars and so forth? Uh, and again, I could sit here and describe this to you. You got, you got mountains moving. You got islands moving. I mean, you got worldwide tidal waves, don't you? Um. And, and again, stars hitting the planet, moving us on our 23 and a third axis. Um, I mean, I could get into all of that. Each star moving is changing us. And if we go to a different axis, uh, the climate's gonna severely change. You know, uh, they believe that a star hit our planet and moved us to the 23 and a third axis we are right now and thus causing the polar tips that we have on our planet now because they have discovered uh, mammoths, you know, prehistoric elephants eating tropical leaves frozen with that in their mouths. So instantaneously, they were in a tropical jungle and in an instance, they're frozen stiff with that stuff in their digestive system and, and in their mouth. So that's the kind of thing you have just from one star hitting and, and, and happening. Here you got a whole flurry of them hitting and moving us and then changing even maybe as we're rotating uh, where we're at around the sun. I mean, these things are just, it's hard to even imagine uh, what's going on as you really contemplate this. And uh, verse 16, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us from the face of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the lamb. So we, we just want to die. We're going to discover later that God causes death to take a holiday. <laughs> People want to commit suicide. Nobody can die. God doesn't allow death. So you could literally have your body chopped in half and you're still completely alive. You could jump off a cliff and get, be splat. You're 100% alive. You cannot die. And so they're saying, we can't die, as we're gonna discover, but at least let all the mountains fall on us so I'm trapped in the middle of a mountain because of why? They're afraid of all the cataclysmic things? No, notice. Why? Because they want to hide themselves from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? The judgment day of the Lord has come and men sense themselves naked before a holy God. 
They're beginning to see their sins in the light of their offense to God. Men now will just like flip God off. Yeah, God doesn't want me to commit adultery. Screw him, you know. God doesn't want me to do this with my body or doesn't want me to, you know, who cares what he thinks? See, there's no God anyway. Uh, If there is a God, I hate his guts, you know. Um, There's just no fear of God. But here we see a time where there's a perfect fear of God. The Bible tells us to choose the fear of the Lord. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is to fear God. To fear, being of knowledge is to fear God. In 1 John it says for us as believers, perfect love casts out all, all fear. Because fear has the concept of judgment and we are not gonna be judged like the world. So there's a whole dynamic here that I wanted to go into tonight. We don't have time. But for us as believers, I just wanna end with this thought. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse six, So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are what? Confident. Yes? What? Well pleased. Full of joy. To be absent from the body and to be what? present with the Lord. But yet, in Hebrews it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. These, things, these guys were now sensing the presence of God coming. They, they were sensing Jesus getting ready the end of the tribulation period. They're getting ready to see Jesus and they're like, I do not want to see the lamb that sits on the throne. I, I, want, I want to be buried inside of a mountain rather than to have to be near him, this lamb, <laughs> Typically, lambs aren't this scary thing. But what is it? They know that God's love was tenderly, gently, mercifully, kindly pulling them out of their sin unto a holy, righteous God. Not unto some legalism, not unto some religion, not unto some ugly cult that's gonna control their life. Jesus never is a part of any of those things. All those things are from the devil trying to just turn man off from the idea of of following God. But they, the loving kindness and tender mercies of God was drawing them and they resisted. They basically, you know, some very soft-spoken, kind people inside their hearts are just violently screaming at God and flipping him off and just saying, I will, I will never bend my knee to him. I'm God. Forget him, forget his Bible. What I think, the way I feel, the way I want to run my life is the way it's gonna happen. And in their heart, that rebellion against God is this witchcraft and, and now they live the way they wanted and now there's a fear of not being right with God and there is no way that they could humble themselves. It's, it's a crazy thing. Crazy thing. I've seen people on deathbeds, guys that are dying and just say, look, you're not gonna live but a few hours. Just, yeah, you know, I'm not gonna pray to receive Jesus and I don't wanna care what you tell me. I already know and died on the cross for my sins. You know, you can take that and shove it, blah, blah, blah. I gotta go to hell. That's where all my friends are. You know, I, 
They're all down there, got a beer for me. I'm getting ready to pull up to the bar down there at the devil and all my buddies, yeah. And it's just like no tenderness, no willingness. And then you go to other guys that have lived like the devil and they're just, they're ready to die and they're just absolute in fear and just say, I know there's tubes in and out of your mouth and you're heaving and you, you, you're, you're terrified because you know you're going to go to hell. And they're like, <sighs> you know, shaking their head. But you know, you know of God's mercies even now, like the thief on the cross, that God would forgive you and wash you clean and accept you into his heaven forever. It's like, yes, you know. And you just don't have enough knowledge and you want me to tell you, it's like, yes. And they're just, preach the gospel, explain the nature of God and, and just say in your heart, pray this prayer. Believe Jesus is Lord and God's raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. And they do it and just, their chest isn't coming up four feet out of the bed and their eyes aren't ready to pop out of their heads anymore. Their heart rate goes down and they just sit there and just go into a sleep and die. And there's, I've seen it go both ways. I just know it's absolute stupidity <laughs> to try to go face to face with God and play, and play chicken, you know. He, it's his bat, it's his ball, it's his field, it's his game he created. If he says you're out, you're out, right? Who are we? We're little tiny peons. What is man? We need to fall on our face and say, Jesus is Lord, and whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, yes, Lord. And let's do that right now. As we come, Lord, and we see where this planet is heading very soon, and it's really you, Lord, pointing to us to the day of judgment to help us see the reality. <laughs> like trying to point to a freshman in high school to his senior year. <laughs> Try to help him understand the importance of doing well in school if he wants to go on to college. Trying to help him to, to see soberly and realistically that although he's a 14-year-old kid and a freshman in high school and this history class doesn't have anything to do with anything with him, <laughs> that it's absolutely essential for the rest of his life. And to get him to come to that maturity, to see that. And in the same way, here we are tonight, that it's, it's not a million years out there is the day of judgment. It could be tomorrow. If we die, we're gonna be standing. You said it's to every man, appointed every man to die once and then judgment. There's people right now in this room tonight that will not be alive tomorrow morning. And I know I've said that in the past and it's been true. I've said that this time next year, not everybody in this room is gonna be alive. And I've never been wrong yet. (laughs) Every New Year's Eve I've said that, I've never been wrong. It's stupid for us, it's foolish for us to think we have 10 years to slowly fear the Lord. we We have 20 years to slowly respond to your love and your kindness and your salvation. Lord, we don't want to be fruitful. We don't want to live for ourselves. We don't want to live in a society full of murder and hate and 
sexual immorality, but yet at the same time, we, we sort of want to live in it right now ourselves, toy around with the devil, toy around with things that absolutely grieve you and cause a society to become evil. And there's some here tonight that God's brought, and I just sense it. God is saying to you, this is a hard thing, but you need to fall upon the rock and be broken, or the rock is soon coming to you and crushing you to powder. And the choice is yours. And right now, we're not taking uh, not even a minute more. It's just right now, you. If that's you, in your heart, just fall on the rock right now and be broken. I am a sinner. I am wicked. I am pervert. I, I am a liar, a thief. I am a person who's self-seeking, self-gratifying. I'm living for myself and I'm not, I don't want to serve anybody. I want everybody to serve me. I'm greedy. I'm lustful. I've got rape in my heart. I've got murder in my heart. Right now, just let the Lord come and Jesus was judged on the cross with all of those evil things. He was beaten and crucified because of that wicked stuff in your heart. And the Bible says if you'll confess honestly to God your sin, then he will take that sin. It's already been paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago. But he then will apply it and he will wash you as white as snow. He will forgive all of your sin. And tomorrow or this night or the rest of your life, if you sin, we come to him again and again until he makes us like himself and we, we walk as he would walk. He's making us like himself. And on this earth and one day in our new bodies in heaven, it will be done. But right now, to realize, God, you're loving, you're holy, you're pure, You've made me to walk like you in your image. I submit myself to you. The Bible says man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So to leave here tonight with that, I'm gonna seek you in your word and obey it. Be washed in the word, be strengthened in the word. Follow you through the word. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. And Again, this is a horrible example of a night. I, I never ended this late on a Wednesday night. Um, but if you have time, I know some of you guys got to grab your kids and go, but if you have time, do it with your kids on the way home, but if you have time, do it here. And uh, have time to fellowship with each other, huh? Love you guys. And um, if you're sick, Lord, be, heal you. And uh, have a great night.